Welcome to the Human Being Unleashed podcast, where we redefine, realign, and reimagine what it means to be human so that you can live a life with the health, wealth, and relationships that are inherently yours. So welcome back to welcome back to another episode of the Human Being Unleashed podcast. This week, I'm extremely excited because I'm genuinely interested in this human being today and really understanding more about him, but like getting the insights into the things that he's learned on his personal journey. I've been following this guy for maybe a year and a half, a really good friend of mine who's also like, he's also a fitness coach. He attended some in-person event. And then after the event, he was like, Adrian, I know you're all into this mind stuff, dude. God, you like you got to talk to this guy. And that's whenever I started following you a while back. But I don't know what kept me from just reaching out and responding. I mean, reaching out and just like, you know, making contact, a connection with this guy. And then I saw him post inside of one of the podcast groups looking for, you know, um, looking for more podcasts to be on. And when I saw that, I was like, it's just the perfect excuse to reach out to this guy and befriend him. And um, so I'm just extremely excited to bring this guy here today. He is a performance and business coach. You may have definitely heard of this guy. His name is Zach Blakely. And he has done some amazing things in his life. And not just done amazing things, but I would like to say he's gone through some of the most, you know, heaviest personal things that he was able to use as like an actual, I like to say like a guiding light to getting to where he's at now. So with all that being said, Zach, I don't want to just like slaughter this introduction, (laughs) man. (laughs) So with all that being said, man, thanks a lot for hopping on here today, brother. And um, let's just go ahead and let's start here. So we know that you're a performance. We know, we know that you're a performance and business coach. It's really kind of hard to wrap up what you do in that, in those words right there. Right. So uh, let's go ahead and let's start here because this entire conversation is aimed around this freeing yourself and this inner conflict. And as business owners, I believe this is really important to talk about because when it comes to growing business, it's all strategy. Like what about this new strategy, this new tactic? But when you hit, and you can all agree, especially if you've been in this community for a while, when you hit a certain level of success, ideally that six to seven figure range, it's kind of like your next, your next growth tool typically you're going to be mastering your mindset. And this guy is all about that. So with that being said, I want to, if you can just, I know this is a loaded way to start this thing, but I'm very curious as to how you ended up doing what you're doing today. So just your backstory, you can keep it as long as you want, as short as you want, but let's start here. man. Well, Adrian, first of all, man, it's my honor to be on the show with you today. So I appreciate the invite to come on. Absolutely. Uh, I appreciate the uh, the courage to reach out. You know, I, it's just all all love on my end, man. So to give you guys and the listeners, you know, what exactly happened in my life uh, and what's really important is just to know that I've learned through my experiences. And uh, that's why I want to start here is because a lot of us aren't learning through our experiences. A lot of us are resisting uh, experiences that we don't want to have without realizing that those experiences are showing up for them to learn something so that they can grow to be the person that they see, uh, the metaphorical man that is, that they're chasing after, right? This, this, this idea of this person of who they are. 
And I was that man for a very long time. I resisted um, a lot of shadows, a lot of uh, doubt, a lot of addiction, um, a lot of shame uh, that was in my life that I felt on repeat. Um, and it stimulated from originally the not being equipped as, as most of us aren't, uh, not being equipped with real world knowledge and real world um, experience, right? So the knowledge that could set us up for handling some of the experiences that I've gone through in my life. And one of the hardest things that we go through is the fact that, you know, our school system, for instance, sets us up to be put on a grade system, you know, based off of A, B, C, 100, 90, 80, whatever that is for you. Uh, but when we get into real life, we're not graded on test scores, we're graded on behavior. And ironically, mm -hmm. if you go back and think about your preschool days, when you're four or five years old, and you did something that was a great thing, you shared a toy with a friend, uh, you told the teacher that you loved them, uh, you experienced joy uh, in whatever the way the kid would experience joy, and you received what? A gold star. So it's very ironic that as uh, children growing up before we even get to the grade system that we're graded on gold stars, and then once we become an adult, we're also graded metaphorically on gold stars. So the reason why I start here is because I was... Uh, led to believe, like most of us are, that if I made good grades and if I uh, showed up, you know, and, and learned something uh, about the world, I would be able to apply that knowledge into adulthood. And that works and does, you know, happen, you know, consistently. And also there's a huge inconsistency in which the application and being able to do that is amiss. So let's get into all this vagary that I'm talking about. Let's get into the specifics. When I was 14 years old, I was left in the basement, uh, in, in a finished basement, with a computer. And I was 14, I was, it was 1999-2000. We have just moved from AOL. And Adrian, I don't know if, when were you born, brother? I don't even know. I was, I was doing the math. I'm like, okay, how old is this guy? Uh, I, was born <laughs> 19, I, was, I was born in 1996, brother. I was a little baby, man. Uh, I was, uh, so you were, you were a little baby while I was uh, perusing pornography. Oh. So when we look at this, uh, back in this time period, there was an AOL dial-up, and then we went to broadband. Broadband was the first iteration of high-speed internet. And also what came with that was videos um, and being able to watch video pornography. And as Also, a, this is like the beginning of like yes. all of this video stuff online and stuff. Okay. Yeah, so 95, 94 is when AOL dial-up, and again, you weren't around, but they used yeah. to just, like, do this dial-up thing, and then we turned into broadband, and video started to become more apparent. Okay. Uh, and again, I'm a 14-year-old boy, right? I'm left alone to explore a, a, a new resource, and I got wrapped up into pornography. And it was that moment that I can look back to to realize that that was the beginning of a huge lesson for me. And I didn't know what that was. But again, at the time, I wasn't equipped to know what that was. So as I went through my school years and I got into college, uh, I started to have issues, uh, different issues that I didn't think any other man would experience at the same time. Um, I was having performance issues. So I was actually having erectile dysfunction when I was in my college days uh, with women. Um, I had anxiety. I had so much anxiety, social anxiety, which then turned to performance anxiety. 
not being able to perform for some of the women that I was with was making me realize or making me feel as if I was incapable, right? Incapable of actually having a normal sexual relationship with, um, mm -hmm. with one of my partners. Uh, that then stimulated down to feeling unworthy of even being, right? Of like of being alive, like who am I? And, and why is this my challenge? So while I sit in the victim mindset for this, it's a lot of woe is me and why is this happening to me? Now, this is a trick of the ego. This is this question that we, 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 uh, we use as a way to try and extract an answer that never comes. When we say, why does this keep happening to me? Or is this, how is this happening to me again? We have no intention to answer that question. Matter of fact, that question only stimulates hopelessness because afterwards we don't have the answer. Mm. So we go from a why question to a hopelessness. And then we uh, learn that that pattern continues to show up. And, and br bringing this into something that is forming into an understanding of patterns is that I was resisting the idea that pornography use was causing these physical ailments for me. And I didn't know. So I got out of college, I got a master's degree in education, right? By the way, so let's go with what the system told me I could do. You know, I was a 3.1 grade point average for my bachelor's. I got a 3.9 oh. in my master's. Uh, master's in education, was going to be a teacher, went through that process. Uh, when I graduated, I graduated in 2009. That was during the, uh, the recession. And uh, I couldn't get a job. Well, I couldn't get a job. So I settled on another job. And, you know, so like, the, here's the American dream unfolding. And it's not really a dream for me, right? I'm having trouble uh. actually getting a job with what my uh, degree is. And uh, in the background, I'm still watching pornography consistently. So fast forward through two relationships that failed, I get with my, uh, my then wife. So um, I had been watching pornography at this point for about 12 years of my life, okay. uh, maybe 13. And when I got with her, I felt like she had instantly healed me in some sort of way. There was a connection that was between me and her that I had really not a lot of desire to watch it. But uh, after about that two year mark, you know, things start to fade away a little bit more and, you know, you start getting comfortable in your experience. And then I started watching it again. And then I started experiencing the same ailments, social anxiety, performance anxiety. I was literally afraid to have sex with my wife and uh, performance issues. Right. So, again, what, what I know now to be called porn induced erectile dysfunction. Now, studies didn't come out until 2009 or 2010 that actually started to show the difference between video pornography and still images. Still images do not have the same neurological pathway or uh, transformation of that neurological pathway in the same way that video pornography does. Not only that, but video, for, video pornography allows for you to easily escalate your pornography use. So where you could open up a tab when I was 14 years old and I was looking at, I don't know, regular heterosexual sex. I'm a heterosexual man. So if you're homosexual, you would like homosexual sex, whatever it is that's normal to you. And then that traced all the way to something called escalation, where you're opening up multiple tabs at the same time. You have 10 tabs open of different scenes that become more graphic, right? They become more hardcore. They become way more far or way farther away from what actual sex with a human being is in real life. And that neuro, neurochemistry, again, neuroplasticity is this ability for us to create new grooves in our brain to create a new bodily reaction to the thoughts that we have made it so that I could open up a laptop and achieve an erection, but I couldn't achieve an erection with my wife in bed. Wow. So once I got to that point, um, again, all of this, I want you to think about like, by the time I got to when I was 30 and I, I this is when it was forced out of me that um, I had a pornography addiction, I'll 
tell that story. Okay, I was about to say, all right, um, so we're going there. I had most likely, and, and this isn't even, this is, this is underselling, and I had watched pornography tens of thousands of times. And the I have a question for you. I'm yeah, sorry. Sure. I, I, I'm really curious. Yep. When you said that you found your then wife at that time and she like healed you in a way, right? Like two years, you felt like you weren't no urge to do it. And then all of a sudden you started doing it again. Do you think it was because the excitement or that honeymoon phase was gone? Or what do you personally think it was? If Well, she didn't heal me because no human being can heal another human being. That's impossible. Mm. So what what do you think got you distracted for that amount of time? Was it just the excitement of a new? Uh, it was the connection that I had with her. It was the love. Um, anybody who's listening, the, it, whether you have this relationship or had this relationship, you've probably run into somebody that you instantly had fireworks for. Like, it was just like, I know this person. I know you, you know, it's just this instant hardcore connection. That was the type of connection that we had. I see what you I mean. I talk a lot about that and that relationship and how that became more of a blinding mechanism for us not actually taking care of the real world problems that we had. One of those was pornography for me. Mm. So what I mean by, and by the way, what I mean by human beings don't heal other human beings is, and that's impossible. It's not the case. It's that we offer our, another person the opportunity to heal themselves, the perspective that we give them. Mm. it's always their choice on whether they choose to adopt Their that perspective. perspective right so we're just guiding them but we don't physically heal um i can even point to you know ancient times and even point to jesus and what he did and the miracles that he did and what people might think that he did he didn't he just offered a different perspective for them to be able to heal themselves through belief Oh, so, yeah, so we can go on a whole nother tangent one day on that, but okay, keep going. So, yeah, so, go so, uh, so this had happened a lot and I want to talk about the, the pattern, right? So now we're going to get into the pattern a little bit. The pattern was in the beginning, uh, in the very beginning, I'm sexually aroused. I have a tool in front of me. I'm going to look at pornography. Then I'm going to experience ecstasy. And then afterwards I'm okay. That's the beginning. Then it turns into I'm I'm feeling some sort of uh, I'm feeling some stress, right? I'm feeling anxious, right? I need to escape from this anxiousness, this stress. Then my escape turns into I can watch pornography. Then the pornography ends with ecstasy, and then right after it, I feel guilty for doing that, and then right after that, I feel shame for doing that. Now that's the map. And by the way, the difference between guilt and shame is guilt is that you did a bad thing. Shame is that you were a bad person. Two different things. Wow. I think so now let's just look at the emotional pattern without what happened inside. And this is why pornography is so hard to break for uh, anybody who gets involved in it is that you go from one end of the spectrum, which is complete ecstasy to the other end of the spectrum, which is complete shame, all in a sitting of no more than 30 minutes. And if I were to take away the addiction to the behavior and this happens to a lot of addicts, is that we take away the addiction to the behavior, but we still have the emotional pattern. I'm stressed. I need something to relieve that. And then I'm going to feel bad about myself for relieving it in a way in which is not handling it in a healthy way. I can go, I feel stressed. I don't feel like dealing with this. I'm going to go scroll on social media. I scroll on social media. I find somebody who's doing better than me. This person then causes me to feel guilty and like I'm not good enough. It's the same pattern. Mm. So most addicts don't deal with the emotional pattern. They think that they heal themselves through a behavior not stopping, and that's not the case. Your emotional pattern is just going to change to the next behavior. So for me, um, I didn't understand that, right, at the time. Uh, so for me, 
Um, you know, once I started watching porn again, then I got into really bad drugs. Like I'd always smoked weed, but then I got into really hard drugs, party drugs, uh, drugs that manufacture temporary happiness. And the next couple of days you would feel depressed and down. Um, and all of that led to a point where my ex-wife basically told me, she said, you know, I, I don't even recognize you anymore. Right. So the woman that had given her life to me, that we had had this incredible feeling of love for each other in the beginning, no longer loved me and no longer even found me attractive. So we came to a point where, uh, and this is the, the story, people ask me all the time, they're like, well, how'd you come out about pornography? I'm like, well, I, I was forced out. I said, what do you mean? Yeah. Um, I was leaving uh, the gym, me and my ex-wife were leaving at the gym at the time we had a business together and she was holding, she held my hand and we walk out to my truck and uh, then we sit in the truck and uh, she grabs my phone. And she says, uh, I need to talk to you about something. And she grabs my phone and she goes into incognito mode. So anybody who feels like they can browse in incognito mode and still not have it show up, you're yeah. wrong. Because if you search something repetitively in incognito mode, the algorithm is still there. So she hits the search and then my last 10 searches come down and it's pornography. Mm -hmm. Now, this isn't the first time she's confronted me about this. Let's be clear. Okay. And uh, I said, um, I had lied about it plenty of times before. I said, it wasn't me. That's not me. She said, this is your phone. How can it be anybody else? I said, I'm just telling you, that's not me. I said, this is your phone. She puts the phone in my face. Like, look at what I'm looking at. How is this not you? I said, for the third time, this isn't me. And then after I said it the third time, I broke down and I started crying and I, I accepted or I admitted that all of this was me. And not only did I admit that that was me, but I admitted all the lies that I had lied about it before as I was covering it up. So I was in such strong denial of an experience that I wasn't willing to experience because I felt so much shame and guilt around it. Why is that the case with pornography use? It's that that's the case because when a porn addict starts to escalate into looking at things like I've looked at homosexual porn, I've looked at rape porn, I've looked at midget porn, I've looked at orgies, I've looked at all sorts of different stuff. I'm not homosexual at all. Hmm. At all. Interesting. That's very interesting. I, I've read about that too. So dop dopamine escalation. Dopamine escalation just says that you need to watch something different. It doesn't matter what is different. And the porn world has a lot of different that can lead you down a lot of different avenues of what that is, which causes a lot of men to question their identity, not only their identity of, of who they are and who they say they are, you're, you're living a dual life, you're projecting your best self while you're hiding your worst self. It's there's there's nothing worse than living a dual life. So when we're talking about this in the space, that's what is the most painful thing. And you feel so isolated, you feel alone. You feel in the dark. You feel like nobody's going to understand you. You don't want to come out about your pornography addiction because you have something in your head that you, that you think you're going to have to say, no, I've, I've watched all the things I just told you that I watched. That's what you're thinking you're going to have to say instead of just saying, I got a problem with porn. So, we, so porn addicts build it up and build it up. And it's so much shame and it's so hard to the point where, again, I, I denied it three times within in front of my face. That's how much in denial I was. Mm. So uh, there's another problem with addiction. So this is what happened to me is I said, okay, cool. Uh, it's here. I'm going to deal with it. So I, I get a therapist, anxiety therapist, a sex therapist. Um, I'm working through these things. I go 90 days with no sex whatsoever, no interaction. That's something that needs to be done when it comes to remapping. Again, my, myself back to actually being turned on by physical touch. And after oh. about four or five months of, of uh, recovery, um, I'm starting to actually function normally uh, as a man. Uh, 
And also I'm starting to function normally with my ex-wife, which started to help my confusion, right? Because I was questioning my sexual orientation, my identity, what I was watching was influencing me. It's no different from, you know, I, I run into people all the time that all they do is watch news and I think the world's going to shit. I'm not going to hear it and tell you that there isn't some challenges in the world right now, but I don't think it's going to shit. That's your perspective. That's what you choose to put in your mind. Same thing happens with porn. What you choose to put in your mind influences your thought process and creates your reality. Mm. So if you're doing that consistently, tens of thousands of times, you're going to change your whole concept of what you think is real and what isn't real. A lot of inputs can affect that, that output. Of course. So, uh, so then I start healing from it. I stopped the behavior, but, but then my ex-wife chose, chooses to leave nine months later after I come out about it. The reason you want to know, (laughs) do you want to know why she left? Uh, You know, I got to know why she left because I was still lying, controlling and manipulating her to see a different part of me. What do you mean? Because the behavior was there, but when you're an addict, you'll lie so that they don't see the addiction you'll manipulate people, you'll control people so they don't see what you're hiding. So just because you're not addicted to the behavior doesn't mean that the other behaviors aren't there either. So I got very proud of the fact, proud, pride, ego, yep. of the fact that I, I overcame addiction, I overcame this porn addiction, but I didn't, I didn't look at the other problems that it was causing. I didn't look at the dishonesty. I didn't look at the controlling tendencies that I have. That was the problem. I'm pretty sure my ex-wife could have dealt with, and we've talked about it post everything that happened. She could have dealt with the addiction. She couldn't deal with being lied to. So then she left. And then when she left, that was uh, the time, that was what I would call my awakening. I spent about a month blaming her, uh, blame and complain, victim role. And then I chose, uh, I was in meditation one day, and I started meditating about four months before she left. I was in meditation one day and a voice talked to me and it said, um, first time I ever actually heard, heard the creator or God within me and said, well, what would happen if you took responsibility for everything that you've done? And I said, I don't know. I've never done that before. Mm, that's a good question. So then I did. And I allowed that to drive me. And from that point, I'm about 35 now. So, so from 30, 31 to now. Okay. Um, I was, I shifted my addiction in the beginning to being addicted to understanding the mind, understanding what happened to me with the porn use, understanding subconscious and, and, and subconscious remapping and how I can remap my subconscious to my conscious intentions. Uh, I started unlocking myself to spirituality, to unity, to oneness, to the, the, the healing power of that perception of that truth and what that brought to me inside of my space. I started to uh, meditate and journal and really structure my day to make sure that I was good. Mm. Now, I, real, go ahead. now on that, on that journey, um, I, I, I want to like, you know, I want some insight on exactly what was that moment that got you looking into like understanding the way you, why you were behaving, the way you were behaving, understanding the mind, like, what was it that made you, what was that like day you can remember just, you know what, I'm just going to like really understand why like, cause like, it's very interesting when I hear people in this behavior change space, this, this, this space that we're in. So what was that for you? Well, the first motivating factor was to try and get my ex-wife back. I wanted to change. I wanted to change because I was hoping that through my change, she would want me back. And then about three months in, I shifted and I realized that that's not sustainable and that it's still being attached to somebody else for me to change. Like I had to want to do it. 
So once again, that, that same message rang through, which is responsibility. And then another message came to me. And this has been the most, this grounding statement is, is not only healed myself, but has offered healing to other people. And then also had motivated me to even know more, which was, I was doing the best that I could with the knowledge that I had. What that did is it allowed me to forgive myself because I was doing the best I could. I couldn't have done any better. Like that was the truth. The truth of the matter is I couldn't do any better than what I did. And then the second half of that, the knowledge that I had motivated me to learn more because I said, if I'm, if I'm going to be my best, if that was my best, that, that'll never be my, my best again. My best has to improve. And for it to improve, I need to learn more. And that drove a lot of what I was actually learning about inside of this space. Um, it even drove me to open up my mind to different possibilities that I was closed in, uh, closed off to so that I could really start to bring in different things. Like, you know, you do hypnotist, right? Mm-hmm. You do yeah. breath work, meditation. Ah, uh, so you started getting in. Yeah, uh, I do okay. uh, plant, plant medicine, right? Yeah. What, what can help, right? I, I, I'm Absolutely. not gonna, I, I no longer will reject things based off of false belief. I will open myself up to, to abundance, right? I'll open myself up to uh, the resources that unity has to offer and they're abundant. Now, if we could backtrack, you said something very important that I think a lot of people missed. Um, Well, I don't want them to miss. We can put it that way. You said I was doing the best that I could. I understand that because I understand, you know, I understand the mind, but for somebody who may not fully understand when you say I was doing the best I could, can you just elaborate on that? Because I feel like more people need to hear that. Well, this goes back to not willing to learn a lesson. Like if you're, if you're sitting back and you're sitting in regret, because regret is the universe of feeling that you didn't do your best, right? So when I say I didn't do my best, then you regret it, right? Well, what does regret give you? Regret gives you nothing but the same, which is the same feeling that I'm not good enough that I should have done more, that I would have, that I should have, that I could have. That rhetoric is regret. That does nothing but bring I should have, I would have, I could have into your present moment. That's all it does, in which you will regret and regret and regret and regret. There's a pattern for you that you need to look at. So how do you turn regret into gratitude? How do you turn something that you regret into something that you're grateful for? The answer to that question is for you to extract a lesson the experience. If you don't extract a lesson the experience, then you don't understand the experience. So if you think that that wasn't your best and you're questioning yourself and why you wasn't your best, that's blocking you from sitting in the experience and saying, okay, I did this thing and I did this and this was the result. What did I learn from this? And if you haven't extracted that lesson yet, you'll go back and think about that experience and think poorly of the experience over and over and over again. The lesson becomes the fortification of your mind so that one, you eliminate regret and two, you learn from the experience. But again, there's too much where people regret something going back to the same thing where they resist it. Oh, I feel that feeling again. I don't want to feel that feeling. Push it back down, push it back down, push it back down. And, you know, there's, there's a saying, there's a, a, something I call like a consciousness, I call them consciousness axioms that I use. And these can be just like, Hey, this, okay. this is an absolute truth. What you resist will persist. So uh, if yeah. you keep resisting something, right. It's going to say, cool. You don't want to feel this now. I'm going to go away. And then tomorrow, Hey, I'm back. Oh, you don't want to feel this now. I'm going to go away tomorrow. Hey, I'm back. This is a pattern. Yep. Right. Because what I did in my experience with porn and what most people do, unfortunately, I'm not going to say most at this point. I think a lot of people are waking up and I don't want to use false information. What people do when they're not willing to face themselves 
is they see these feelings of regret, shame, and guilt as darkness, all darkness. It's something that they don't want to explore. They're afraid of it. When really they should see that as a light in the dark. They should see the shame is a light in the dark that says, hey, you're feeling this thing. This light is for you to come explore. Please come explore. Oh, that's a nice picture. And if they would just come and explore it and actually sit in what they're resisting, they, it, it wouldn't show up anymore. The pattern would stop. Right? So and that, this is another consciousness axiom. The only way out is through. You have mm. to go through your pain. You have to go through your emotion. Sit in it. I talk to guys all the time. They're afraid of failure. I'm coaching guys. They're afraid of failure. All the time. Like, cool. I was like, well, let's play this out. What does failure look like to you? What do you, what, like, what do you mean? I'm like, literally, okay, let's start. Failure. What does that look like to you? Let's start sitting in it right now. And they'll sit in it and they'll tell me, well, I would lose my business. And then, you know, well, maybe I'll lose my house. What are you going to do if you lose your house? Well, maybe I'll move in with a friend. Cool. What are you going to do if the friend kicks you out? Well, maybe I'll, but like, we'll trace the whole thing. And what they'll realize is that they're never going to stop. So they can't fail. So why are you afraid of failure? Right? It's, it's just that you're just going to keep pivoting. You're just going to keep pivoting. You're just going to keep pivoting. So every single time you say that you're afraid of failing, you're not afraid of failing. You're afraid of not becoming the person that you say you're going to be. That's what you're afraid of. Mm. Oh, that's the biggest, that's the biggest fear for anybody in life. It's not failure. It's literally, I am afraid that I'm never going to become the person that I said I'm going to be. That's the biggest failure in life. Yeah. That resonates heavy. Like totally, totally feel that. So what you're saying is, in other words, these heavy feelings are actually light bulbs in a way that give us a perspective as to how we can set ourselves free from it. Yeah, it's a and, signal. Come explore. It's a signal for you. And I like I like this because this is already hinting towards something me and you were touching on lightly in our pre-conversation about like the ego not being the bad guy. Because I know there's a lot of people who have that um, perspective, you know, around the ego being some kind of bad thing. Yeah. So what's your take on that? Sure. So, well, I'm going to vilify it to start because if we're going to talk about freeing somebody from inner conflict, they need to realize that they only have two voices in their mind not 20 right mm, okay so that's that's the biggest thing is that there's only two there's two sources there's a voice that comes from fear and then there's a voice that comes from love that's it the voice that comes from love i call the inner guidance system you can call it, you know christianity calls it the holy spirit intuition whatever you want to call it i use very non-threatening words so that i can just like hey absorb this i don't care what your religious beliefs are this is what this mm -hmm. is for you it's an inner guidance system it's literally trying to guide you towards a happiness to a happy fulfilled and loving life the nature of the inner guidance system is love. The nature of the guidance is inclusive. It's extending and inclusive. It, 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 it influences you to be courageous when, when facing life's challenges, right? It's, it sees you and all others as equals. Right? That's, it's, it's what this is inside of you. And it's pushing you. It's the calling. It's pushing you to be this. It's pushing you to get you what you want. It's pushing you through these challenges. On the other side, you have the ego. Now, the ego, the nature of the ego is separation not inclusion and separation. The nature of the ego is fear, right? It's going to use fear. And then through fear, it's going to use the children of fear, which is insecurity, doubt, uncertainty, confusion. Those are all children of fear to create stories for you. And it's going to, all these stories are going to limit you. Also, the ego is going to tell you to, to lean on pride when facing challenges. I can do this all by myself. I don't need anybody else. That's one of the most limiting things you can do. So now we have these two voices. Well, let's, let's play this out. I'm going to use Adrian. Adrian wants to 
take the next step in your life, right? You want to take the next step in your life, right? Your inner guidance system is telling you to do it. And then you get, let me use little things. Hear this? Then you're, this is it. You do it. You can do it. Your courage, your love, you're worthy. You're all this. The ego says, remember the last time you tried to do the same thing? Didn't work out too well, didn't it? Do you really think that you know everything that you need to know to be able to take this next step? Because I don't think that you do. You, you know that habit that you keep saying that you're going to stop, you'll never stop, right? Hey, really, do you have enough time to do this right now? I don't think you have enough time. You should put it aside, right? So it's it's two voices, but the ego is a shapeshifter. The ego is like water. Mm. Here's, a, here's a good analogy for ego and soul or inner guidance system, whatever you want to say. So the, the, the ego, the inner guidance system is the driver of a vehicle. The ego is the fuel. And the car is the body, okay? okay? Or the mind, whatever you want to call it. Okay. Right? So the ego is the fuel, right? Not the driver, okay? So the, the whole point of the inner guidance system of the soul is to control the mind, the ego, to do its bidding, to do its intentions through the body. It's soul, mind, body. But when we're incarcerated or imprisoned by the ego, which I was when I was in addiction, the ego is running the soul and the body, and the soul feels the anxiety. The soul feels the, the shame, the hurt, the pain, the, all these things. That's where that hurt's coming from because you're doing it to yourself. You're allowing the ego to do this for you. And even more so, how are we going to let fuel run our life? Like, what is liquid? Liquid goes everywhere. There's no control on that. It's exactly what ego is. It's everywhere. It, it, is, it is following the ever impulsive, the impulses of the mind are always, the, the mind is fickle. It's always ever changing. You're going to want yeah. one thing and then another thing. That's yeah. all ego shit. And then the soul desires to change, but desire isn't enough. Intention is what you need. Intention is the fuel for the soul to drive the mind in the direction that he wants to go. And people aren't intentional enough. So once we can understand these two dual voices, we can start to like, okay, what's the, where's this coming from? And where's this coming from? Again, remember, this ego, is the conflict. This is the inner conflict. This is the conflict, right? Okay. So we're talking about, yeah. So it, I, like I like to say, I like to organize the cloud, the cloud, you know, it's cloudy, right? Okay. And again, it's like one voice and then 10 other voices, right? But we think that it's 10 voices. Well, it's only coming from one source. And if we can identify the one source and simplify it, then we're good. Then once we understand that this is happening inside of our mind, we can choose with our free will of which voice we want to align with. Now, normally, you would want to choose the thing that's empowering you. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. But then we go back to the moment. Maybe, maybe this podcast is the moment for you to be like, oh, I get it. You don't just start acting in alignment with your inner guidance system next. I hate to tell you. Because you've acted out of your ego for the last X amount of years. When I, when I was 30, 31, and I came out about porn, again, I had acted from my ego, mapping something tens of thousands of times. The problem is that, again, the ego will also tell you to be impatient. So it'll say, okay, tomorrow you're going to be fine. Don't worry about anything. You don't have to do anything. Just show up this way. It doesn't work that way. Your subconscious mind is a living library. Your body is a living library. Ooh. Or you can use it in this sense. Uh, this is how I like to, to do an analogy of the subconscious mind. The subconscious mind records everything, every thought, every emotion, every, every, everything that you do, it's recording. It doesn't have an emotional filter whether you like it or not. It's just recording it. Mm. So with that, I like to use the analogy. What if you went and sat down in a movie theater and then a movie started playing? And the movie was playing your life from the time you could remember five years old, let's say, until that point. Everything. 
you're watching your life. You're going to kick and scream at the bad times. You're probably going to yell at the, the projector, right? You're going to laugh at the good times. A lot of the bad times that you want to forget, they're going to be right in front of your face. You're going to tell them to turn off the movie. It's not going to turn off because it's just a projector. It can't do anything other than play what's happening. Then you're going to get up out of the movie theater. You're going to walk outside. You're going to be all emotionally distraught. And you're not going to have the awareness to know that the camera's still on you. So how would you act if you knew that you had a camera in front of you all the time and the film was going to be shown to the people that you love the most behind closed doors all the time? If you had a camera on you all the time, you would never do some of the things that you do right now. You would never want your daughter, your son, your best friend, your girlfriend to see these things because that is consciously your best self. But again, people lack the awareness to, to realize that even after seeing the movie of their life, they'll still walk out of the movie theater oblivious to the fact that they're still being recorded. God, such a good. So you're talking about thousands and thousands for me, for me, my experience, thousands of times doing something. And then I had to start repeating, doing something new to start mapping new behavior into my subconscious so that my subconscious would start to say, okay, this is the new normal. Because what the ego does is it's like, oh, cool. The ego gets met with the inner guidance system. Maybe you're super strong. And you're like, you know what? Courage, love. I got this. I'm going to be able to do this. I'm worthy. All these things. And you have this moment of awakening. And then you start living your life this way. And then a week or two later, like a, a, a thought comes up. And it's like a flash of, of something in the past. Like for me, it would be like trauma flashes of porn images. And that's the ego's literally like fish hooking, trying to be like, hey, by the way, man, you did this and you did this. And you did this and it's doing it because he hopes that you're going to emotionally attach yourself to it and identify with it. And then the ego just pulls you back in. Okay. You're going to come back into me. Right? So there's a process in subconscious remapping that takes time and it takes repetition. Once you decide you want to be a new person, once you decide you want to change yourself to acquire new habits, you need to repetitively do those new, ha new habits. Science has shown plenty of times at 21 days, at 30 days, at 90 days, how this happens through this process. And most people don't have the patience to be able to go two or three days without relapsing back into their old self. Yeah. And again, the ego tricks, tricks them and says, this isn't working anyways, right? I can't tell you how many times when I was a fitness coach, like when I was doing fitness coaching, just doing that, I can't tell how many times, like I would have somebody two weeks into it, be like, it doesn't matter, no matter what I do, I can't lose weight. Yeah, it's exactly because you're saying that is because you can't lose weight. And then you give up after two weeks and then you're done. Like changing is hard. Uh, freeing yourself is hard. Real freedom is living life without judgment or concern. Like, can you do that or not? That's real freedom. Like, can you not judge yourself? Can you not be concerned with everything that's happening in your day? Like, can you just live in the present moment? So once you understand the process, the actual physical work that needs to happen, right? There's physical work that needs to physical happen. Change is happening. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's consistency. But th some things can happen almost immediately. I mean, miracles happen every day, right? To me, a miracle is when you can take a misperception and align it with truth that collapses time on spiritual growth. Like, that's it. Boom. Boom. Yep. Right? And what that is, is the difference when I'm working with my clients when it comes to their mindset. There's a lot of mindset coaches or uh, performance coaches, they focus on the habit. So let's just use my porn addiction, for instance. I can get with somebody and they'll say, okay, you just need to stop watching the porn. Okay. So I, I fortify my phone, right? I can't watch these things, all this stuff. I stop watching the porn. Um, but the problem is, is that my perception of myself is still that I'm not worthy and I'm not capable. 
So like I told you that, that, that emotional addiction is just going to attach itself to the next thing, drugs, uh, distracting myself on my phone, uh, alcohol, whatever it is, it's going to attach myself to the next thing. Cause, cause, cause you've met, you, you're, you've, you've tried to change the habit, but you're not changing my perception. You're not changing my truth, my belief. Right? Mm. So I work with them of adopting a different belief. So there's something called uh, what I'm getting into is something called an identity loop. An identity loop is an identity loop. Got it. This is an identity loop. I have a belief. That belief stimulates an action. The result of that action reinforces the belief. I have a belief that I'm not worthy because I believe I'm not worthy of what I want. I watch pornography. When I watch pornography, I feel shameful and I feel guilty. That reinforces my belief that I'm not worthy of what I want. So if I take away the pornography and I still feel unworthy, I'm just going to attach myself to the next thing to make me feel unworthy. So it's not sustainable. Like I've worked with a lot of guys that have come from other coaches that they had 90 days of greatness. And then like 90 days later, they're falling off and they're like, Hey, I just like, it didn't work. I was like, it's not that it didn't work. There's a process that you need to go through in which you need to start looking at the way you're actually thinking. Like what thoughts are you attaching yourself to? Like, it's like, you're addicted, like the habits gone, the, the specific habit, but that, uh, that emotional addiction to feeling a certain way Mm-hmm. responding a certain way is basically it's like dr joe dispenza when he goes if you're always mad at your husband put your husband in a rocket shoot him up to the moon you'll find something else to get mad at r- right after that because yeah. your emotion is always so it's like the same thing as what you're saying yeah and i, I like uh, one of my favorite spiritual masters his name's adi ashanti he's like human beings are the only uh, animals that can sit in a room with no present danger and feel danger and think themselves into danger right like I'm sitting here right now. I'm I'm in a room with my computer. I'm talking to you. If I wanted to, I could start thinking about um, things that could spark fear for me. If I wanted to, I could think about a saber tooth tiger coming to heal, <laughs> coming to kill me. I could I could think about um, I could think about losing everything if I want to right now. Right, all that is danger. None of it is dangerous because I'm sitting in safe in a room. Mm. So it doesn't matter what what Dr. Joe was just saying is that it doesn't matter where you are if you don't deal with the emotional pattern inside of you that's making you that's that's causing you to believe this certain thing then you're going to do that all the time it doesn't matter perfect sense okay yeah. Um, so yeah, so I work a lot with perceptions. Like how can we, I, I need to get into your mind. I need to understand your perception. I need to understand the misperception so I can align it with truth. And from aligning it with truth, then I can start to work with new behaviors off of this truth and ways nice. that I do this with my clients. I tell my clients, I can change your life with a sticky note. They laugh. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, once we find these truths, I have them write on sticky notes in what I call danger zones. Like, porn. When I was having the porn use, I would write my intention on my computer. You're not, do not, I will not watch porn today. And every single time I had an urge to watch porn, I just read that. I'm not going to watch porn today. And I kept doing my thing. I'm not going to watch porn today. I kept doing my thing. So it helped me to start aligning my behavior by setting intentions. Like every intentional act is a magical act. Mm-hmm. It is the beginning. It is the beginning of being able to uh, align the soul's desire, which is intention, getting the mind on board, and then once you have that, you can start to create and manifest the reality through your body, which is the second tool that's given to you to navigate this experience. So there's a lot inside of that that I've, that I've started to break down, but it's, it's, it's just trying to get you know, the listeners to understand that like there's a process to this. And I'm talking about a lot of different things, but I'm bringing you to a shortcut. And the shortcut I'm bringing you to is the next step inside of like really freeing yourself from inner conflict is that you need to define who you authentically are. Like we, 
we respect words enough to give them a definition. Why don't we respect ourselves enough to define who we are? So Adrian, since we're on the video right now, you can see over my, my right here, this is what I call the invincible shield. I don't know if I can get, whoop, whoop, oh, oh yeah, 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 I can see it. Yeah, can see I'm it. like blocking it. <laughs> so this is seven areas of my life that I've clearly defined around my spirit, my purpose, my, my uh, what I call my intentions, my protection, my success, my happiness, my abundance. I've clearly defined these. I do this with my clients as well. Clearly defining what they are. I'm creating my own box. Wait, so is it is it the same areas for, for each person? You're like, or you just ask them what are their okay. So what are those seven areas again? This is what I call the seven elements of authenticity. My spirit, which would be like your religious or spiritual beliefs, or maybe consciousness if you prefer okay. that. Uh, my purpose, finding out what your purpose is. Now, most people think their purpose is their vision, and that's two different things. Oh, your you purpose about is something. Yeah, your purpose is something that you're doing right now that you could do on repeat every single day to feel purposeful. I'll give you an example. My purpose is to change the way people breathe and to change the way they feel about themselves. That's what my purpose is. Essentially change the way they live and change the way they feel about themselves, right? I'm doing that right now with you. Do I need to do that with coaching? No. Uh, right? Do I need to step on a stage with millions of people, you know, watching me and listening to me? No. I can do that with a conversation. I can do that with myself. Feel, okay. Because your purpose is for you too. It's not for everybody else. It's for you to do. So then not the better you do it, the better you can do for everybody else, the better you can give to everyone else, right? Yeah. So I call the purpose, the, I call this is the brick. Because if you just did this thing on repeat over and over and over again, you would eventually build, you know, the, the, the building or the, the skyscraper that you want to build long-term just by doing this thing on repeat over and over and over again. So I have, my vision is way different from my purpose, but my vision will align with my purpose. And a lot of guys, they don't feel like they're living a purposeful life because they can't recognize that their purpose isn't something that's so incredibly big. It's something incredibly small that you can do every single day to feel purposeful. Oh, I think people, when we hear the thing purpose, it's such like a big idea. Like, what is my purpose for being here? And so, yeah, I, I totally see that. Yeah. So okay, then so we move purpose. Yeah, my intentions. So this is just very, this is very powerful because like I was talking about, there's this person that we're uh, metaphorically chasing after and you never define what that person even looks like. You just see him in some glowing lights or something like that. So let's define what that purpose, what that person is. And then, you know, exactly what those characteristics are. And then you can just know them now. And what that does is it brings that future person into your present self where you no longer feel like you're chasing, which that's an illusion of the ego. Like how tricky is this ego to dangle something in front of us that we already have? Yeah. Right? Very true. We're, we're already whole. Why are you dangling parts of me out? You're projecting parts of me out to feel like I have to go out and get it when it's already inside of me. You just need to define it. So by doing this, it, it collapses time when you feeling like you need to catch something. It's not about chasing. It's about revealing. It's about revealing who you already think, who you already are. So then uh, we go down into my protection and my protection is all about the mindset problem, the main mindset problem that you experience that's limiting you from moving forward. Uh, this could be anywhere between judgment, right? Maybe you're, maybe you don't do well and other people judge you. Uh, maybe you have a really imbalanced view of competition. Maybe every single time you're looking at somebody you admire, you see what they have and you say, well, why can't I have that? What am I missing? What am I lacking, right? From your experience looking at these other people, that's blocking you from actually being the best version of yourself to get where you want to get to. Maybe you have a shitty worldview because you watch news all the time, right? Uh, maybe you have this really bad misconception or misperception that you're responsible for other people's actions. 
right? Like I have guys that I work with that they have employees, right? I work with entrepreneurs all the time. They have employees and they're like, well, like, and if they're in like a bad place with revenue, they feel like they can't pay the bills, but they feel responsible for their employees. You're not responsible for them. They made their choice to be with you. They, you, you, when you say that, that means that you are discrediting the fact that they have a brain and they can make a choice. Wow. Yeah. Right. So here's all these different ways that inside of the mind is limiting you from actually performing at your best. And when we talked, you remember in the minute, I was like a business and performance coach, like this is what this is. This is internal value equals enterprise value. This is you work on yourself and then your business takes care of the rest. Mm. And, and I do give business strategy and stuff like of that. Course, That's yeah. not very important at this point. Like it's really about the entrepreneur. Like the entrepreneur needs to be understanding that who they are and what they're doing. And, and, yeah, really and I mean, at there. the end of the day, they got to have the bandwidth for that kind of strategy or to even stick with it for the long term. So yeah, yeah totally. So then we move down into uh, my uh, happiness, which is the ability to find that you're happy right now. It, it eliminates the I'll be happy when syndrome. Like okay. why, that is the big, yeah. that, again, how can we, how can the ego keep dangling something that you feel like you need to have that you can't? I know guys have said, okay, let's let, like how I trace the, the, the fear of failure. I can go the other way. Okay. You're going to be happy when you make $20 million. Cool. Like let's trace that. How long do you think that's going to take? Blah, 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 blah. Okay. And then I'll come up to, well, maybe it's a five-year plan. I was like, so you're going to delay your happiness for five years and you don't even know if it's mm -hmm. going to happen in five years. Yep. So how can you acknowledge that you're happy right now? Why are you robbing yourself of joy? You're robbing yourself of joy by saying that you need something to validate yourself. This is where the task list becomes a validation list. That's a very, oh. that's a very, very, very uh, dangerous place to be in. Would you say this is where the, the task list your, becomes the... Your task list becomes your validation list. Oh. So for instance, for instance, my happiness for me is I get to wake up every day and do what I love with the people I love. That makes me happy. What else do I need, right? Mm. Same thing with my success. It's the same thing. How can you recognize that you're successful right now? Why do you need some sort of outside achievement to validate that you are successful? You can be successful right now. That's the, and, and robbing yourself of feeling unsuccessful does what? Well, in an emotional state, when you don't feel successful, you don't feel capable and you don't feel worthy. And those are the limiting factors for you taking action. Yeah. The ego is going to take those two emotions and say, I'm going to play with these all day on you. Yeah, you don't feel like you're worthy. All day. Yeah. Yep. Until you actually sit in this and realize it because you won't, because you can't accept the fact that you might be unworthy, that you might be incapable. So I'm just going to keep playing with this on you the entire time. But you resist persists, right? Yep. Absolutely. And then lastly is the my abundance. And this is just the ability to recognize the birthright of abundance, that you have everything that you need. The birthright of abundance. What this does is, is uh, a lot of my clients is when they can recognize that they already have abundance when they're going through a problem. Um, one of the main, one of the most limiting things entrepreneurs do and even businesses do uh, mm -hmm. that I've worked with is that when they have a problem, they, they, they fearfully look for the first solution and they don't patiently look for the best solution. I've been thinking uh, that. So I have a problem. Okay, what am I going to do? Uh, uh, this looks good. Uh, or one of my friends told me about this thing. So I'm going to use this thing and I'm going to use this thing. I'm going to start using it. And then you do it and then you waste money because then you go three months down the way. And you're like, oh, that wasn't the solution to it. That I thought it was, but that wasn't it. So let me go back to the drawing board. And then I go and buy something else. And then that maybe that's not the solution. All of this is just impulsively reacting to an emotion of fear. You're just impulsively reacting. When, if you realize you're abundant, you say, okay, I have a problem. Cool. Let me look up a uh, minimum 10 different solutions that I can look at. 
All right, now I'm gonna look at these 10 solutions. Okay, now I'm gonna research these. Let me break it down. Okay, this one seems like it's the best after doing all this research. Now, impatience drives you to not do that. But what I just gave to you is that you can quickly make a, a, a solution that you think, and then it doesn't work, and then you got to backtrack. And you can quickly make a solution, then you got to backtrack, and then you backtrack better. You waste more time doing that. Exactly. You waste more time. Then if you were just patient and said, okay, this is a problem, let's find a solution and take the time to find a solution so I don't have to backtrack and do this. So that causes conflict because then you're beating yourself up, right? Damn it. I thought this was the issue. I thought this was good. Now you're beating yourself up. Now you're going back into the incapable, uh, incapable and, and inadequate uh, rhetoric, right? So when you realize that you literally have every resource, money, people, whatever you need is at your fingertips. Literally, we have the internet these days. I can find whatever I want to find, good nor bad, on the internet. I have a network of people that I can call if I want to unload. I have people that I can... Uh, ask for help from because I, because that's what courage is being willing to ask for help there's a yes. lot of different things right that you can do so but this authenticity what it does is it allows you to know exactly what you will and won't accept so mm -hmm. we live our entire life with other people putting you into their expectation their box of expectations when you wake up when you grow up your parents put you in a box of their expectations when you go into school your teachers put you in a box of their expectations when you get your girlfriend she has a box for you of her expectations but we go this entire life without ever creating our own box, our own expectations of what we are, right? What we want. Right? So that's what this is. It's the shield or it's creating your own box. And once you actually okay. have this, once you have this and you have this with you, you can then have a gleam back on the choice that you've always had that you might feel like you don't. You've always had free will choice to choose. Matter of fact, if you're choosing right, whatever you've, whatever your reality is right now, you have chosen it. Yep. I was Perfect. Right. So you can also choose to not have inner conflict at all if you don't, if you don't want it. You don't have to, you don't have to be in conflict with yourself. You're choosing to be in conflict with yourself. That's so the higher perspective on freeing yourself from inner conflict is the realization that I know who I authentically am. I know the difference between the two voices in my head. I know the inner guidance system and I know the ego. I know that anything that comes from fear is something that doesn't serve me, that's trying to imprison me. The whole goal of the ego, by the way, is not only separation, but is to get you to believe that you are it. You're not. You're not it. You are, you are the driver, not the fuel, right? Mm. So when I know that the inner guidance system is leading me through love, when I know who I authentically am, when I find myself starting to conflict with myself, I can stop it immediately and say, I know that's coming from fear. That's not real. I know what I want to think. This is what I want to think. And I think this. So I, I don't have to have inner conflict. And I don't. I'm not saying that I don't in a sense of I don't, it don't pop up to me. I'm, I say when I find myself getting into it, yeah. I stop it, right? You got the choice. And it's my argument of most people don't realize is they're like, you know, whenever they talk about time wasting, they're like, well, I waste so much time on my phone or I waste so much time scrolling through, uh, you know, Amazon shopping. Or I went, and I was like, no, that's all deflecting. That's all blaming and complaining. Your mind wastes the time. Inner conflict is the biggest time waster. If you spent two hours a day in inner conflict a day, Multiply that by seven, that's 14 hours. Multiply that by whatever you want to multiply, you know, by the year, right? 365, and then multiply that by, let's say, 60 years. I've done all the math all the way back to, it's two and a half years that you would waste in inner conflict. Two and a half years. Wow. So, wow. what could you do if you just stopped right now everything that you were doing, everything, 
and you just focused on yourself for, let's say, four to six months that you learned about yourself, you learned exactly who you were. And then after that, you were able to literally have two and a half years of clarity to, to build whatever you want with absolute certainty, with absolute belief inside of you, with the ability to eliminate fear out of your life, you would build the thing you want to build. In a but lot shorter people, time. In a lot shorter time. But most people will spend years in conflict, in doubt. And let's say instead of two and a half years, it takes 10 years. Or maybe for some of them, they succumb to the ego and they believe that they, they're not worthy and they're not good enough. They never do it. The uh, other analogy I have is, is like this. Like you can run as fast as you want to run with a 50 pound sack on your back, but eventually you're going to get tired and then you're going to keep trying to push forward and eventually you're going to fall flat on your face. Why not consciously choose to set the 50 pound back, 50 pound sack down? Why not say, damn, this thing is heavy. Let me just put this down. Okay. I put it down. Now let me sprint. You will pass the guy that's fell out on the ground. You will pass him. And you'll also, at that point, be able to pass him, stop, turn around and say, hey, man, let me help you take that sack off. It's not serving you. It's not helping you. But people are willing to just grind and keep going. And it's, it's, it's the thing that, again, robs them of joy. It robs them of the success they want. Yeah. No, I've totally been um, totally guilty of experience. You're not even going to use that word. But, <laughs> but totally, I can say I resonate with using that experience, especially, you know, just 100-hour work weeks you know, thinking that that is exactly what it's supposed to take to get to where you want to go, but yeah. feeling the most miserable you can possibly feel. So yeah, it's the process of sacrificing your soul for success. Yeah, which, I think. Is, which is never worth it. All human beings are equal in value. And that value is infinite. So if you want to Amazing. sacrifice infinite value for money, or fame, or whatever else you want to sacrifice for, it's never going to be an equal value swap. Never. I say it's limited. It's, it's always going to be limited. Yeah. So for me, I mean, I, you know, and I'm talking about all this and like, I have my own coaches, right. That coach me, you know what I mean? Like I, I sit inside of this duality and I also um, know, and then also need guidance in the same way because the ego will um, convince you that you don't need help, that you um, are good where you're at, that, you are, uh, have everything that you need. And, you know, whenever you reach this like certain level of understanding, like a new level of understanding, you puff your chest up and then pride starts to roll back in, right? But I always tell guys that I'm working with, because I work with a lot of high level guys. And um, I tell them, I say, hey man, you can be honest with yourself as a way to hide from the truth. So what do you mean? I said, you can tell me in a story, 90% of the story, you're going to tell me how good you're doing. And then the 10% of the end was like, but, you know, there's this thing that's, you know, I've been working on and, you know, I'm getting there. Why not treat that 10% with 90%? Because that's the truth. It happens mm -hmm. all the time because we don't want to be perceived as being incapable, right? Or inadequate of what we're doing. So I can say, how's your business doing? And you say, man, I got all these great things going on. Man, we got this new product that we're launching. Sales just hit this, this new marker this entire time. And, you know, I'm just feeling so good. But, you know, I keep finding myself drinking at night. And I really wish I would stop that. I'm like, interesting, because you should have started with the drinking. That's the problem. And even more so, I'll get on calls with guys that want to have my help. And like, it takes me 45 minutes to pry through the, the, uh, the, the mask to actually start talking oh, about yeah. problems, right? So the ego is tricky. It'll tell you all these things. It'll tell you that you don't need it, but you do want it. You know, it's that duality. It starts sitting there in conflict. Mm -hmm. And um, 
you know, I, I just, I really wish that most people would just realize if they put the sack down, their life would be a lot happier. It's what everybody yeah. wants anyways. And, you know, I, I have a question for you. You were saying extracting lessons, right? Mm-hmm. And that has been um, something big for me, you know, because my business partner, she's like, deep into like she's actually like watching this right now but she's like deep into nlp and all of that and that's like her thing and you know i i do the hypnosis side of things um but i've realized i've gone through some processes with her and we've always done that lesson extraction thing of looking back on certain times so i'm not sure if you went over this if i may have missed it i I don't see how i would have missed it but um that what was that lesson that you extracted from your um not even not I wouldn't even just say the porn addiction, but the emotional addiction, that pattern that you had. What was that personal lesson that you extracted for yourself? Sure. So to get to actually start moving through the addiction and getting over the addiction, it was I was doing the best I could with the knowledge that I had. That's a lesson. That's what I needed to learn from that experience, right? That um, allowed me, that allowed me to start to release the regret that I felt about that experience. And once I released the regret, it allowed for me to start receiving new information It started to receive new possibilities because I was pushing something out while I was allowing space to receive. Um, when it comes to like learning from all my experiences of what I do, when it, I sit in this, uh, at the end of my night, you know, I do my journaling, everything else. And I have something I call a catalyst practice, which I do, which is basically just being able to figure out what the catalyst or what the lesson was in the experience. And if you do this every single day, then you don't really have too much that starts building up on you inside of that. So at the end of the day, like I'll sit here at the end of the day today and I'll think about our podcast and what we just did. And I can already tell you where I was thinking that like, oh, what could have been better? Well, the entry point could have been better inside of this podcast. I already know that inside of my space. So then I'm going to reflect on that and say, okay, where could I have started, right? In a space that got more directly to the point, but still save words in between. That's, that's then the question. Now the question then allows me to come into the space and say, okay, let's make sure that we get really grounded on an intro so that this goes into a more smoother way. I feel much better now that we're talking, but that just gives you an example. So if I'm doing that every single day, I don't have things that build up on me. Mm, right? Yeah, I like that. So why not at the end of the day, review your day and say, what did I learn today? It's that simple. Like what is an experience that stood out to me that I could learn from inside of that? And then that limits this buildup of time and, and not really wanting to deal with it, right? Putting it to the side, resisting it, resisting it, resisting it. And then it pops up as it builds an emotional intensity and emotional weight inside of you. Um, when it came to like what happened with me and my ex-wife, I had to learn that just because you have fireworks in the beginning, that doesn't always mean that it's a good thing. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, because I know a lot of people that will suffer from this perception. They'll feel fireworks in the beginning and they'll say, I know this person is good for me because I feel so strongly about this person. That's what they'll say. And then maybe two weeks into the relationship that that other person does something to do them wrong, stands them up or lies to them or something like that. And then they'll lean back and go, I know she's good for me. So like, it's okay, I forgive you. And then they'll do it again two weeks later and again two weeks later. And then, right, you're like six months into a relationship and you realize that this person isn't good for you. All because you can you confuse perception and knowledge. And we do it all the time. Oh, yeah. Our perception yeah. is something which I perceive. You perceive that this person is good for you based off of a feeling. Knowledge only comes through experience. Your experience is showing you something completely different. 
your experience is something completely different. This is showing you she's not good for you. She's not good for you. But your perception keeps saying, I am, I am, I am. And then you found yourself in a relationship for way too long, all because you think your perception is knowledge and it's not. It's just a perception. Okay, that's okay. So that's where I was just about to ask you to clarify. So a mistake that a lot of us, well, again, not a lot, whatever, but the mistake that we see people using is their perception. They see it as fact. Like this is... Yes. Okay. And that, and that limits them all the time. You can sit there and say, uh, have again, especially in like problem solution kind of thing, like you have a problem and then you'll say, uh, okay, well, there, there's one, there's one, there's one, there's one. Oh, I don't really like that one. You don't even explore it. You just say, no, I don't think that's going to work. That's a perception that you just put on something without ever actually having the experience to see if it's going to work. Oh, you do that all the time. That doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me. Well, have you ever experienced it? No. Then how do you know it doesn't work for you? I just know. No, you don't. You have a perception that it does. You can't just know until you wow. actually have the experience to teach you the lesson of whether you know anything. If lessons come from experience, so does knowledge, right? And that's the only place it can come from. Mm. So that's a trick of the ego because the trick project that the ego projects to projector projects projects projects. It projects what it thinks it's what it think it knows, but it doesn't know anything. I said the ego is totally logical but clearly insane. <laughs> Yeah, no, that is a, no, that is a, I totally, totally um, going to go with that. Now, <laughs> something, I guess we're just going to go with that. That sounds nice, right? Now, <laughs> now um, I would say you talked about this thing called remapping, right? You've talked yeah. about it plenty of times. Um, now, again, I have a better understanding of what this remapping is. So is remapping for the listener's clarity in your explanation, is it as simple as just doing something different every single day as opposed to going about a certain thing? Is there a more, is there a different practical thing we can do? Is there like, um, like some kind of process that can ease that and help us or? Yeah, so, I'll, I'll, so remapping in a very simple sense is I'm doing one behavior that I don't want to do anymore. I'm watching porn. I don't want to watch porn anymore. So I'm going to wake up today and I'm not going to watch porn, right? So then, cool, one day down, I didn't watch porn. Now that one day becomes my new past, right? But that one day also has thousands of days also of watching porn. So then I wake up the next day and say, I'm not going to watch porn. Well, that day when I wake up, I have strong urges to do so. Because the subconscious mind is a predicator for your present behavior. Again, it's just doing what you think. It, it's, it's taking over... If I were to, to describe to you, like the subconscious mind is alive when you walk. When you walk, you activate 200 muscles. If you tried to consciously think about activating 200 muscles, right, you would walk like a baby the first time every single time and we would go nowhere, falling all over ourselves because we're thinking about those 200 muscles. So the subconscious mind shines at simplifying complex behaviors so that we don't have to do them. But it also, again, takes behaviors that we're doing and says, okay, this must be what you like because you keep doing it. Remember, there's no emotional filter. So with that, I might as well say, cool, I'll throw an emotional urge out, I'll throw a thought out, I'll throw a thing that keeps you to keep doing the behavior because this is what you want to do. So as we stop doing that behavior, then urges become stronger because the subconscious mind is like, hey, wait a second, man, like you're not watching porn anymore. We've been doing this for a long ass time. You obviously like doing it. So here's another urge. Here's another yeah. urge, right? And it's waiting for you to say attachment. Cool. Yeah, I'm going to tell Yep, I, I do want to do this now. And then I do it. And then we do it again. So second day, I don't watch porn. Third day, I watch porn. Seven days in, I'm not watching porn. But I'm getting these, these impulses to do so. 
And it's coming from this ego and coming from the subconscious mind to do so because it's just what's doing it is what's normal, right? Mm -hmm. So what I mean is, is that once you can get 60 days, let's say into not watching porn, well, now you have 60 days that is your new past. And now the subconscious mind and the ego stops bothering you so much because you have a new past that shows the subconscious mind a new behavior that now becomes a new normal for the subconscious mind. So the subconscious mind is like, okay, cool. I guess it's normal now that we're not watching porn. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to influence you so much to do so. Now I'm using 60 days, but I went 90 days, 120 days. I went six months before I remember I was driving to the gym and like, I felt the thought coming, like I felt the shame. And then I felt the thought about to materialize. And I said, I choose not to think about that right now. And it went back down. I didn't feel anything. And I yelled out a big fuck. Yeah. In the middle of my car. Cause I was so happy that I had done this for myself, but it was still coming on in impulses. And the point is, is that you have a choice on that impulse. Every single time you have a choice, you can choose to attach yourself to it, or you can choose to not have it you're choosing to attach yourself to it. So you're choosing your suffering. That's what you're choosing. When you choose to not attach yourself to it, especially when it's an addictive pattern, you're starting to choose freedom. You're starting to choose happiness. Most people don't realize they have a choice. That's the problem. Yeah. They don't realize that they have a choice. They, that, that's, and again, that's what the ego does. It makes you real. It makes you think that you're it. So you don't have a choice that you can only do what it says to do, but you have a choice and you have to choose over and over again. I have to choose tens of, well, it wasn't tens of thousands of times, but I had to choose thousands and thousands and thousands of times to not watch porn before I stopped having the impulse to watch porn. How can I fast track that? Hate to tell people, but it depends on how deep you are in the hole and how long you've been doing what you've been doing is going to tell you how quickly you're going to be able to change. And then also how quickly can you repeat the things that you need to do to change? So here's a couple of tricks. One, I talked about the sticky note. Put sticky notes in danger areas so that you can start saying something different to yourself than what you've been saying. Danger so, areas like trigger at trigger points yeah. and like okay. Yeah. For instance, when I was driving to the gym, I used to have I, I used to have only a five-minute drive to the gym and then it was a 30-minute drive to the gym when me and my ex-wife separated. And at the exactly. time, again, I had an extreme fear of having sex with women because I had shown myself over and over again that I was afraid to have sex, that I couldn't have sex because I couldn't perform, and then I would feel that way, right? So, like again, tens of thousands of times. So while I'm driving to the gym, I'm literally just saying to myself over and over again, speaking out, I love sex. I love sex with women. I love sex with women. I I made a song out of it. I love sex. I was was singing it, right? For 30 minutes. I don't know how many times I repeated that same thing over and over again, but when you're speaking, you're not thinking, right? So I'm speaking speaking these things over and over and over again. So I'm doing it repetitively so I can faster remap my subconscious to start doing that thing repetitively. Because tens of thousands of times, it's going to take a lot of repetition to get me to believe what I'm doing. And I do this with my clients all the time. I'll be like, hey, man, cool. We got what we need. Now I want you to go on 20-minute walks. I want you to repeat this to yourself repetitively for 20 minutes. And they say, that sounds crazy. I was like, I know you say that sounds crazy. I promise you, just give it three weeks. You're going to start believing what you're saying. Three weeks into it. Hey, man, crazy enough, I have really started believing. I'm starting to believe what I'm saying to myself. I'm like, exactly, because your thoughts become things. Your thoughts are you. You're just saying these things. You're manifesting it by doing that. And you're not doubting it. That's not going to happen. So that was one of the biggest things, repetitively doing these things over and over again. Sticky notes, visual reminders, right, of who I want to be and how I want to show up. Journaling every single morning, writing down my intentions, making sure my intentions were aligned with the person that I wanted to be, right? The man and the, and the man in the future that I wanted to be now. And having a set routine that was centered around nutrition and my body and my mind and taking care of all these things. 
instead of putting everything with a greater value or, or I'm sorry, everything with lesser value over what I am infinitely valuable. Mm. I'm, infinitely, infinite I'm, I'm infinitely valuable. So why am I not going to the gym when I want to go to the gym? Why am I sacrificing that for work? That's not valuable. Mm. So, so, so guys, just so, just so you guys know, if you're not watching this video, this guy's freaking jacked. So he clearly <laughs> takes care of himself. All right. We're, we're not just talking about, you know, just dealing with your emotional stuff. He's definitely taking care of himself too. Got to throw that out there, but go ahead, man. <laughs> so I, I want to bring it to something that you were talking to at the end, which is how can you befriend the ego? Right. Cause I just, yeah, yeah. Okay. I just vilified it for a long time. We talked about subconscious remapping again, listeners, this is the deal. Do the work, have accountability for it. If you can't be accountable for it, which you most likely can't, when you think about the matrix, Neo didn't become Neo until Morpheus pulled him out of the matrix. You're in the matrix right now. Anytime you're not in the present moment, you're in the matrix. Your mind is the matrix. You need somebody to help pull you out and hold you accountable to the person that you say you want to be. That's why we exist as coaches. So keep trying to do it by yourself and say, keep saying, by the way, here's a good rhetoric for you to understand that you need help. When you keep saying this is the last time and it's never the last time you need help. Oh, yeah. The ego. This is the last time I'm going to do this. Last time I'm going to do this. But then you do it again. Then you do it again. What happens is that you realize then you start losing even more worth for yourself because you can't even hold yourself accountable to the words yeah. that you're going to do. Yeah. So not keeping your promises. Yeah. That will make you feel more and more insecure. So totally. Cool. So two benefits of the ego to get you to actually understand why it's important for you to have and how you can live in harmony with it. One. Right. One. Your ego is what allows you to realize that you exist as an individual. Daw or wolves, wolves in a wolf pack, wolves don't have egos. You know, wolves just see the other wolf and they hang out, they work as a pack, they do what they do, they don't understand what they are. You get that pleasure of knowing that your name is whatever your name is. You're playing a character right now, by the way. We have a sense of self. Yes, you have a sense of self, right? But even just to give you an idea, Zach Blakey is a character. That's a character that I play. Even, even, even the authentic Zach is still a character that I play. It's not yep. really me, right? Yep. I like it. Okay. Secondly, is that your ego is the thing that is giving you the challenges for you to grow into the person that you're going to be. If you, didn't if you didn't experience doubt, you wouldn't be able to overcome doubt. If you didn't experience unworthiness, you wouldn't be able to overcome unworthiness. If you didn't experience uh, addiction, you wouldn't be able to overcome addiction. Like, that that these are the things that for these are the the experiences that forge you in the fire to become the thing that you want to become think about it this way mm. you're at a you're at a poker table you sit down you sit down and you know your cards and you know all the hands of everybody else's cards you'll win over and over and over again you might win billions of dollars you might win trillions of dollars the trillions of dollars but to what end you will eventually lose interest in the game because it's not challenging there's no challenge to it. No matter how much money you would win, there's no challenge. Yes. So the ego makes it so that the other players' cards are invisible to you. So it actually is challenging because happiness is at the end, right, of suffering. Suffering forces your consciousness to grow. And every single time you suffer and you grow through the experience, you feel proud and happy of yourself. Happiness and suffering go hand in hand. They are synonymous. They're not separate. Okay. I like that. So in other words, that ego is allowing us to experience that feeling that's going to allow us to and experience that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And most people get too wrapped up in believing what the ego says to them and they never get out of the prison that is created for them. 
But again, getting out of the prison is what empowers you to believe that you are infinitely powerful. You wouldn't know that. You're the powerful creator of your experience. And if you're, incar- and if you're incarcerated by the ego right now, you're a victim of your experience. And those are two different yeah, things. Yeah, when you realize you create the prison, it's like there's no key. It's like you are the key. You kind of just like mm-hmm. rise above it. And just like the sky, there's no ceiling in the sky. Infinite. So yeah, yeah dude, that, that, that infinite thing, by the way, I'm like really sitting on that because it's, uh, yeah, I just like that picture you painted. I'm a very visual right. guy. So I'm thinking of all these symbols in my mind. <laughs> but uh, okay, so- keep going. Yeah, so I was just saying, so just with the ego now, that that allows you to see the ego with a different perspective, with with appreciation, with gratitude. Thank you, ego, because if you didn't show up for me right now and show me what I don't want to be, I wouldn't know who I want to be. That's what it is. Because if if, if, if the ego showed up for me and showed me this thing, and then I start being that, which I was, and I realized that that's not what I wanted, I would have never had that realization without going through that experience. And I learned through the experience. So I can sit with my ego now and my ego starts saying, hey, you're not good enough. Hey, you know, you might not know everything you need to know. Hey, say thank you, man. Thanks for showing up. Appreciate that. I love you. Acknowledge it. Yes. Just like I love myself. I love you. And I appreciate you showing up for me to try and show me a way in which I can grow. Then he shut. Why is showing love to this voice? Why is showing love to this voice so important? Because people are so goddamn hard on themselves, especially entrepreneurs, man. Well, going back because the ego doesn't know how to handle love. It doesn't understand love. It can't do anything with love. It just, it's, it's, it's literally silenced by it. Like there's no rebuttal to it. I love you. I hate you. I love you. I don't know what to say at this point. (laughs) Right. Think about a guy that's that, that, I don't know, like you could do this to anybody. Somebody could be in front of you wanting to fight you. And if you just, you wanted to fight them and you're like, you know what, man, I love you too. He might keep wanting to try to fight you. So it doesn't matter. You hit me in the face right now, man. I still love you. I promise you, he won't want to fight you anymore. Yes. He's going to be like, he's going to be confused. He's going to be like, what? I, we were just fighting. You're telling me you're loving now? Yeah, bro. I love you, man. Like, you want to hit me in the face? Go ahead. But I still love you. He won't hit you in the face. Matter of fact, he'll stop being angry because you cannot hate and love or they're, they're impossible to, uh, to, uh, to rival each other. I try and tell people they're like, well, fear is the opposite of love. I'm like, that's not the true. How can something that in, how can something that encompasses everything that you see have an opposite? It can't. Your whole experience mm. is love. That's all this is. And then the love projects light, and the light forms under free will, under whatever it's going to be. And here we are. So I was talking about earlier. I was like, there's a there's a lot that happens in religion that really limits people from being free. One of those is that there's some metaphysical dimension called hell that's run by some pitchfork, you know, being, right? That is uh, prompting you to do evil things. No, there's not. You think God that loves all of you would even make something to damn you inside of for mistakes that you've made that you can learn from? That's not the case. I promise you that's not the case. God is love. Everything is love. So what happens inside of this is that religions, let's just use Christianity in this space, use a metaphysical dimension called hell to try and align your behavior closer to God. Fear is always a controlling mechanism. It is never going to work that way. Mm. Fear control controls, love inspires, right? So mm, what, if, what if instead you defined what God was to you. And then you said, man, that's inspirational because that's love. And that's what I want to be. 
And then there's nothing holding you back trying to tell you that you're not good enough to be that. It's a problem. It's a big problem. So what I believe and what I believe to be true, and I'm saying that it's true, is that unity, like everything you see around you is God. This computer is God. I'm God. Adrian, you're God. Everybody that's watching this right now is God. Like this is God. Like when you God think about stuff. Yeah, the, the omni, the omni, the omnis, right? You they, they describe omnipresence, you know, omniscience. Um, omnipresent is the one that, that that most monotheistic religions choose not to 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 believe to, to accept inside of it, but then they acknowledge that it is. Omnipresent is that God is everywhere, always at the same time. Yes. Then, yes. then, then, then everything is God. Like, how can we sit here and say that God is some white bearded man in the clouds in some metaphysical dimension called heaven? It's not possible. Mm, yeah. Anyway, so I mean, that's, that's a side note. And the reason why I talk about that is that um, when you actually can sit and believe and realize that you are a co-creator of your experience, that you are uh, cut from the same energy that created this entire universe that you see inside of you, you will realize the infinite power that's inside of you. And that is empowering. I feel like that right there sums up the lesson. But I want to ask and see what see what could potentially come up. If sure. you were to look at this entire conversation that we've had so far and extract the lesson that you love for the listeners to really take home, what would that be? Just the overarching. It's, it's the thing that I try and help most of um, most everybody with, which is getting out of victimhood. So it's not necessarily a lesson. It's something that I'd rather want you to be mindful of. Uh, blame and complain is all victimhood rhetoric. Blame and complain. Every time you blame and complain, you depower yourself. You are a victim of your experience. When you say you don't have enough time, you're a victim of time. You're a victim of anything that you say that you don't have. And it all centers around two things, which is blame and complain. If you could stop blaming and stop complaining, you will naturally do the inverse, which is responsibility and ownership. Once you take responsibility and ownership for your life and your experience, no matter how terrible the experience, you'll start to realize that you can create what you're looking for. But until then, continue to be victimized if that's what you choose, but you're choosing that. Stop choosing that. Start choosing love. Start choosing empowerment. Start choosing ownership. And you'll start to see your life create into everything you could ever want. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, man, I honestly, and guys, really quick, uh, a quick backstory. Me and uh, Zach, we were actually supposed to have uh, coffee this morning. And we noticed that we just ended up booking it on the same podcast date. And we we're just like, hey, man, for the freshest conversation, let's go ahead and let's just do the podcast. So with all that being said, I know I can go on for hours with you. And Zach, I know we're going to go on for hours. Sure, and, yeah, um, yeah. and something I can tell you too, man, um is or something i can just like i mean not tell you but tell the audience is we're definitely gonna have zach back on because there's a couple of things especially this whole um because i can go on and on about this um i like talking about like this god molecule this god thing and like i could we can go on and on about that but one book i don't know if you've read it yet um maybe you have you you probably read the gnostic gospels but the gospel of philip uh no i haven't read the gospel of philip i've read uh enoch the book of enoch which is a great okay book. so i don't know the gospel of philip uh what interpretation is it or or I guess um, what message comes from it i guess um it's very interesting but basically at the entire the entire like if you were to zoom out and look at the entire thing it's like okay the god that we all talk about 
is the same thing as you. Like Jesus is yeah. actually you. And it's like, it's like he just mm-hmm. realized what you didn't and he was resurrected. Um, I mean, he he was resurrected before he died because if he died, you can never taste resurrection. It's like something that happens here. Yeah, so there's actually a book called A Course in Miracles, which was a uh, channeled work in the late- Yes, I've never, I've never read it, but I've heard about it. It's, uh, again, whether you choose to believe it or not, it's Jesus channeling through a woman to basically say, here's what I taught and here's what y'all fucked up. Well, I got it. Okay. I, I know that. I mean, this is like probably the third time I've heard of that book in like yeah. the last two months. So it's probably like, Hey, you should yeah. probably check that one out. What, okay, what, what? You, no, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying what you, what you find is, is that Jesus was teaching spiritual awakening that we're all one, that we're all children of God, that he was the son of man. And we're all a part of the sonship of the unity. And that's what he taught. And basically what happened is, is the monotheistic lens skewed it and then just positioned Jesus into, you know, something that's higher than we are. And that's never what it was intended. There's one verse specifically, I'll just leave. I know we're going long. So just think about this. Like there was a verse that says, nobody cometh uh, to God before me. Right. And it wasn't that it wasn't meant to be that he's at the gate and he's the the gatekeeper of God. It was that I am the connector for you to realize that you are God. I'm the connector, not the gatekeeper. And uh, he goes very in depth into that. Again, whatever you choose to believe. Of course, in miracles, yeah, yeah, it's definitely something to check out. What book had the biggest impact on you, man? Like, I'm just genuinely curious in that. Like, what book would you say personally had the biggest impact on you? So, another channeled work called "The Raw Contact: Teaching the Law of One." The raw. Say it one more time. The raw. Uh, R A. The raw contact. Teaching the law of one also a channeled work from the late 1980s. And uh, again, I imagine that the listeners on might, uh, this, all I would tell anybody that's listening that if you choose to look this up, this is a product of opening yourself up to infinite possibilities of what could be happening and really being able to open up your perspective to something different. What I'll tell you is that this book is a metaphysical dissertation on metaphysics, on spiritual growth, on the nature of the universe, the reality of the universe. It teaches everything about the universe, all the secrets you could ever want. If you choose to believe it, mm. how to balance your energy centers, what density of experience we're in, we're in third density of experience, that there's seven densities of experience, consciousness grows, it evolves, that mm. you, this is not your first lifetime, all these. Yeah, things. oh yeah. Dude, I need to, I need to, my little nephew, by the way, he's talked about a past life. It's very interesting, um, but he's been well, losing it now. He's like nine or 10 and mm-hmm. you can tell he's like not really talking about it much, but it was so the law of, law of one will explain that. And basically just as a, a small explanation that kids, uh, as of 2012, when the Mayan calendar ended, where we thought it was the end of the world, the uh, planet Earth uh, transitioned into fourth density consciousness experience. And in fourth density experience, we no longer have the veil of forgetting, which means that we forget our past lives. So children born after 2012 have the opportunity to remember their past lives. Uh, and remember how they died because their soul never forgets that they were uh, not in the body. I think he was born in 2012. I'm almost 100% sure. Isn't that interesting? By 2000, yeah, I'm almost 100% sure. By 2027, children will be born without fear. Dude. All right. Well, this thing's <laughs> going to be around. And if we keep going, we're going to go all the way to 2027. <laughs> so, so look, bro, uh, one, of the, one of the last couple of questions I like to sure. ask here is... You know, well, this question always, well, actually real quick before we do that, (laughs) what is the best? So I'm going to have some links in the show notes and all of that, but 
what is the best way for people to follow you on social for people to just, you know, if somebody just wants to get in contact with you, get in your world, what would you yeah, do? Yeah, l- luckily my name's at Zach Blinkney is, is all of my uh, contacts, right? So like Instagram, yes. Facebook, um, luckily not okay. too many people have my name. Uh, so that's where you can find me. Uh, you know, if you don't want to go directly to a website, you just want to have a conversation, you can always just DM me invincible. So DM me the word invincible, and then I'll know that you came from uh, this show with Adrian. And, um, you know, I'll, I'm open to having a conversation. It doesn't have to be about coaching. If you have any reflections from the show that uh, you have any questions about, I'm, I'm always answering my DMs. So it's welcome. Lovely, lovely. All right. Awesome. Now, who do you know that I should have know? Have on, <laughs> and have on this podcast i uh, love the reaction when i ask these questions sure i have okay. a laundry list do you want me to lay, name okay them? yeah let, give me the top laundry. three give me the top three and then uh we mean you can like go on whenever we meet up and sure, all sure a guy named nick alfano he runs a uh a group called the program which is all about helping uh men uh, I'm a I'm a co-coach inside of that program. Okay, it's helping you know entrepreneurs get from 250 to seven figures, and and also focusing on four key areas of their life: family, fitness, focus, and finance. So it's about balancing it through that process. Uh, okay. Another gentleman named Cody Jefferson uh, does a very similar thing. Uh, you said Cody a, Jefferson. Cody Jefferson. Yeah, he has embraced the lion. Uh, very similar thing. Uh, inside of that knows a lot um has a great uh we we speak a lot of the same language just in different ways right yeah um and then if you're looking for more of a fitness influence my girlfriend julia um renee i mean she's uh incredible she got over binge eating in her life um you know she's going for olympia this year very large following you know i know that's always kind of an attraction thing in the sense of the podcast so yeah and also awesome. very well spoken and she's we have our own show right the fit couple show and you can listen to some of the things that how she talks she's incredible nice all right well y'all guys he's gonna have his like podcast link all that stuff's in the show notes so just <laughs> forget about all of that and just look at the show notes it'll be right yeah. there yeah. and if you had 60 seconds left in the world man and this was your last 60 and you were leaving and you knew all right this is it mm-hmm what would that message be to just whoever is listening? What would that message be? Oh, very simply, you're the powerful creator of your experience. That's it.